All right. Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science. To I'll just have to trust you because I can't hear about that. what they do. That's so weird. Yeah, we it doesn't matter. It, to, it's playing. I always like to talk under it anyway, so it screws people up when they skip past. <laughs> But it can also be used for destruction. Uh, Will you use it? I won't. I refuse. It'll be up to you. And you too. And you too. Oh, Todd. Mark Middleton, it has been so long. <sighs> it, it feels like it's been a while. I mean, so many things have gone on. And I'm sure that you heard uh, about the the female sheep uh, issue? I did not. Well, there's a this whole trend of female sheeps, sheep who, <laughs> what they're doing is they're stopping monks from opening stores that sell flowers, okay? Um, because it turns out that only use can prevent florist friars. <laughs> <laughs> now the best part of that, and I don't know if this is gonna come across in a recording because I'll be using each of our feeds, but whatever the middle chunk to describe florist friars, like all of that context, you did that thing where you just like digitized and I heard none of it. <laughs> but here's, um, here's what I want to do. Female sheep oh, who no, no, are no. stopping monks from opening stores that sell flowers. Okay. I was going to say, don't tell me so that I'll be surprised when I edit the show together. <laughs> Oh, well, how have you been? Uh, we're, we're sitting here today. It's a it's a beautiful day outside. Uh, both of us are inside right yeah. now, but you are wearing a pair of overalls and I am wearing a wife beater undershirt. So <laughs> neither of us have looked better. True. And uh, yeah, so I I bought a pair of engineer uh, train engineer overalls. Yes, uh, that's exactly the what white, those are. Uh, white and blue pinstripes. Uh, I did get. Uh, a black hat uh, instead of the engineer's hat. I thought I, I didn't want to go full character with, with this look, but um, I, I did get it. But I'm not wearing the hat right now. Uh, yeah. Right? Yes, we were. Um, it messes up we my were, hair. You know, <laughs> we were bonding over the the wonderfulness of tactical and practical clothing before we started. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I have so many pockets and I love them so much. So many pockets. Well, I haven't really talked to you much since I went on vacation. And um, so I went with my, uh, I met my family up in Moses Lake, Washington, which is in Eastern, Eastern Washington, kind of just in the middle of high desert, absolute nowhere, which is actually near where my parents moved about 20 years ago. So I'm very familiar with all of those areas of nothingness. But um, so we were at mm -hmm. Moses Lake, but around Moses Lake, there were a couple of really fascinating things that I wasn't expecting because, I mean, Moses Lake is just like a random, a random lake. And it's one of those that kind of has fingers that kind of go through the valleys. It's not like a, you know, a, a centralized piece of water. But um, it's like I said, in the middle of nothing but thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of sagebrush and nothingness and it's just flat and it's just you know the high desert like you know in eastern washington and eastern oregon and i was driving with my dad and my brother and my brother-in-law or my my nephew-in-law i guess he is and out in the middle of this nothingness in the middle of the field 
they it's not a an airplane graveyard as such because they all are all brand new 737s now if uh people remember last year there was the stories of those 737s that had crashed and there was some sort of programming error or, or i'm not sure so all of those had to be grounded and they're yeah. all stored in the desert in the middle of nowhere and they're all brand new and the weirdest thing was that i mean there were thousands and thousands of these planes and i didn't recognize a single airline because they're from all over the world it wasn't like right. delta or whatever it was like right all of this and not even like the big ones like united arab whatever or Qantas. i didn't see right. any of those it was all of these really like from Disney. thailand and from it, it was so so weird looking yeah uh when I visited China, same same deal is when you're at the airport, you see all of the regional airlines that you had no idea existed. Yeah, uh, yeah, there there are hundreds and hundreds of those companies. And so there is a an, an international airport in Moses Lake, complete with a um, a terminal that has never been open for use. It, it was meant to be a public stop at some point, and it has just never been used so now at that little airport is where all of those uh 737s are and then across grant county international airport sure enough yeah that's and so there's a brand new terminal there that's just not used and then across the street from that is like the world's largest producer of carbon fiber what which is crazy and that building it's like it's it looks like your typical factory sort of, except it's all painted white. And then the smokestacks, you know, sometimes like those big grain silos, they have the the staircase that goes like it curves around the outside. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So the smokestacks looked like that, except it just had like it looked like a rotor in a um, in a feed tractor. So I know everyone knows what the rotor in a feed tractor looks like. <laughs> But like a big auger, I guess is what I'm saying. And it just okay, that's how okay. the smokestacks were designed for some reason or whatever. So those looked cool. And it was – and then we uh, – my brother got wind of – so Moses Lake in the middle of nowhere. And then if you drive like 40 miles east, which is even further into the middle of nowhere, there is an old missile silo. Now, there are three missile silos over eastern Washington that are arranged in a triangle. And this was Cold War stuff where they, you know, we, the United States, spent all this money to to um, to build all these silos and stuff like that. And so just kind of on the off chance, we're like, well, we there's nothing else to do in Moses Lake. So we might as well just drive. And who knows? Maybe there's a fence around it. Maybe there's not. You know, let's just go check it out. And so we drove out there and just in the middle of nowhere, there's a sign that says Titan Farms. And there's like a, a fun, crude little rocket that they built like next to the sign. And it was gated off. But right as we pulled up, a service truck came up and was actually going to go in. And so we kind of talked to him and he's like, well, you know, I can't let you in mostly because it is now a place that manufactures medical grade CBD. And so it's all (laughs) marijuana plants and you can't have anyone under 21. And my nieces were with us. And um, (sighs) but yeah, apparently the guy that owns it now bought it for like forty thousand dollars. And it's like (laughs) it's all underground. So there's like maybe a couple tiny little out buildings up above, but it's all 
underground tunnels and rooms and all of this stuff all underground and i think about five or six years ago they filmed some sci-fi movie there so now it's all lit and has it's all finished on the inside whereas before is you know defunct but now and so uh we ended up calling the owner because we got the we got the number from the service man and my brother was doing his best to like, you know, we're here, you know, we're just interested. We love engineer, you know, all and just everything. And, and right. then my Chad, who was my brother, he was like, you know, when we have our whole family here for the first time and my and my girls would love to, you know, and just nothing was quite, quite biting because it is, you know, an active now marijuana farm. So he was like, uh, right. maybe not, but. So, but there, I mean, there always is some possibility that like if you and I and whoever ever did like a Hanford uh, nuclear plant tour to call that guy and just say, you know, we do a science podcast. Can we show up and and take this tour of Trojan Farm? And so anyways, but yeah, it's so weird to see. And I'll post, I haven't posted pictures of this yet, but on on the way to that silo, like I said, in the middle of nowhere, there is then a what looks like a Dust Bowl era house way off. There's no roads to it or anything. And we were in two cars and my car didn't stop. And so I was pissed. But while all my nieces drove as close as they could, you know, and hiked out to that derelict house and took pictures. And they found an old rusted tractor piston that they actually ended up giving me because I was so jealous. And they're like, you can have this. You can have this piece of garbage if you want. Stop pounding in the corner. <laughs> exactly. So that will be my new uh, bookend because it's super cool. Looking. Yes. Um, but yeah, so there are. And then we also ended up going to Grand Coulee Dam, which is oh, the awesome. gigantic dam, um, the largest concrete dam in the United States. It is a mile long and 300 feet high. I remember about 20, 25 years ago, you were able, I went there with my family and we were able to go inside and take a tour and, you know, see the, you know, the conductors or whatever was inside. But since 9-11, they don't, obviously they don't allow, allow people inside anymore, but we did get to see that, which was neat. And so there are are a lot of, a lot of interesting little pockets uh, in Eastern Oregon too, with all the hot springs and all the, just the random things, but it takes, it takes effort to get there. And we made the effort to go to Moses Lake. So, um, but the, the, the bot, I was going to say ahead. the best thing, cause I always get low grade anxiety when I go on family vacations because I don't know where my drug supply is as, <laughs> and by that, I mean where my diet Coke machines are. <laughs> so it's like, you right. bring your own or like, what am I going to find? And, would there be a miracle of finding caffeine-free Diet Coke in the fountain? And uh, uh, about a mile away from where we were staying, we were staying in town. We weren't staying, you know, far away out or anything. But there was this tiny little gas station that had one of the touchscreen ones that had like all the hundred different options. And they let me yes. they let me bring in my own cup for a refill every time. <laughs> That was the first time in like four months I haven't had to like covertly smuggle it in. <laughs> so that was it's, it's the little victory. It is. It is. Um, oh, and one other thing, there's a place called Soap Lake, which is maybe 20 miles north of Moses Lake. And it's not a hot spring, but it's fed by some crazy mineral water or something like that. So it has like this not slimy but like 
lotiony feel after you get out because of all the minerals and right it's very soft water yeah yeah and so apparently in the 50s and 60s there was like a big resort there that you know come heal all that ails you you know soap lake or whatever so but that was pretty cool too so all in all it was a it was a pretty fun trip fun yeah i'm looking at pictures of uh soap lake and the foam that comes off of the uh the water because of how soft it is yeah they do want there's kind of a controversy in in soap lake even though there's like 10 people that live there apparently they want to build the world's largest functioning uh lava lamp (laughs) but yes only half the residents want to build it and the other half don't and like it's the greatest like small town controversy <laughs> of all time. Just waiting for Guffman to totally the lava and, lamp. And the one billboard in town on one side, you know, just said Trump twenty twenty, but on the other <laughs> on the other side it said something like, you know, vote integrity, vote democrat. And it was like two sides of the same and I was like, Wow, that's oh, wow. fascinating. And I was I was um a little anxious about going to a small town in the middle of a very red part of a state and wondering are there going to be masks are people going to be just like licking everything to like stick it to the man or like wonder (laughs) what they do but for the most and i mean it is a mandate in washington so but most people were wearing masks and just fine with it and um so yeah i was i was pretty happy to see that too so wow that sounds sounds awesome and that's what i did on my summer vacation (laughs) <laughs> we uh we did not we we stayed home uh so uh, we did uh travel out and uh we went to vista house on yes saturday night uh yeah i think saturday night uh to watch the neowise comet yes and, now for uh, some got reason a, got a good view for some reason this comet has completely like eluded my radar so to speak except for the past couple of days as people keep posting it but <clears> i <throat> have not been able to see it and i don't know if that's just because i can't you know there's too many trees that i have there's a bunch of trees kind of on the north and west of, of the property and i don't know right. if it's below that or if i'm just not catching it at the right time right. or so tell me a little bit more about tell me more about this comment yeah saturday saturday might have been a decent time for i'm just thinking of your your topography there at your house and uh it was fairly high in the sky uh at about 10 p.m uh and so that's that's when we saw it and it's uh although it's one of the brightest comets uh that we've had in our lifetime uh it's it's just about as bright as the hale bop comet um it comets sound really spectacular and when you uh get to looking at them it's just kind of a uh smudgy little fuzzy blur in the sky and i didn't know if i needed a telescope or if i'd be able even to recognize it if i was looking at it yeah yeah we could see it with the uh with our naked eye as you will Uh, but we brought a uh set of powerful binoculars on the uh on a tripod and and set that up as well and so um it was definitely much easier to see with the binoculars but uh we could just point over and and look at it um 
And so about 10 o'clock, you uh, said? I think maybe, well, I, I always forget, but then I always try 10.30 because that's what I always see everyone yeah. saying. Well, that's that's been a week, or that's been uh, whatever day it is. <laughs> um, was was that, maybe that was Friday night here. Yeah, I think so. So that's been three days, um, <clears throat> two days. and um, Biblically, Mark, that would have been three whatever. days. Friday night to Sunday morning. <laughs> Too soon. True. Too soon. Um, I have an iPad app that shows where it is and stuff. Uh, we'll we'll take a look because uh, it should be still visible for cool. you. Cool. Yeah. It's getting closer to Earth, so it's getting brighter to us, but it's getting further from the sun, so the tail isn't as um. long and uh, reflective. And so you've got these competing kind of uh, metrics that uh, may or may not be super visible anymore, but we'll we'll see. What Interesting. We well, I have one yeah. uh, question. Because usually, as I drive to my family vacations, I write down all of my <laughs> random thoughts to ask you when I get back, and I didn't have a lot. Okay. But I did have one. Why do we need water? Now that sounds like a <laughs> that sounds like a dumb question, especially as you were just drinking water. <clears throat> but like we get oxygen from other places and hydrogen from other places so is it just that we need the actual liquid substance or is there some sort of not nutrient but in something in water that our body needs um that's a that's a really great question thank I'm you sure that... you were gonna make fun of me <laughs> <clears throat> no, no 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 that's that's a good question and i'm sure that if you ask 10 different experts of different systems within our body on the uh, micro level up to you know organ level and stuff every level of that would have a different reason or like core uh, function like water is a binder of things binder uh, that kind of hold binder that holds things together uh, it is the core fluid that things get transferred in and so like your blood is mostly water you know uh, with other chemicals in it and so that's transporting oxygen in the cells and and everything so if like without water it would literally just be dry cells uh, <laughs> so and wouldn't be able to right <laughs> wouldn't be able to just dry husky <laughs> cells <laughs> chafing up against was... each other Oh my goodness! This reminded me of I was watching a bad. Oh, what was it? I was watching a bad TV show, um, and a guy fell onto a uh, an old corpse. Oh, it was. I, I remember what it was. It, it's called uh, Lodge Forty Two, Forty Nine, Forty Seven. Lodge Forty Seven, I think. And it's a TV show. They found the former uh, leader of this lodge mummified in the basement of the building. He had basically committed suicide and, and like preserved his body and, and kept it down there. And the guy came in and stumbled and fell on the body, which coughed all the dust into his face and and he like swallowed a bunch of dry oh. body part oh. stuff and so that's oh, that's where i was going with with all that dry stuff so uh you need water so that you don't die from mummies uh, <laughs> i think um, yeah i figured it had something like kind of how we need fiber not because fiber has nutrition in it but because it 
you know, physically, the physical properties are doing something to. Right. Huh. Right. Anyway. Yeah. And so it's it's the transportation medium within your, you know, all of your systems. Right. Uh, I, I, so I thought of that question is. as I was going past my favorite uh, highway sign of all time, which is in Boardman, Oregon, where there's just the sign that says blowing dust area <laughs> next 60 miles. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, so yesterday we went to uh, bring dinner to uh, an old friend of ours. Nick, uh, Nick and Jen went to um, college together right after right after high school and uh they're both uh you know late 30s early 40s kind of kind of age range jen got sick with covid19 right at the beginning of our surge in uh in the united states right at the uh kind of beginning march and uh she has been sick ever since and we we went to kind of hear her story she you know clearly no longer contagious no longer stuff but the physical changes that she has had in her life have been absolutely devastating uh so she uh no pre pre-existing medical condition she's 40 years old healthy young lady because of her contracting it very early the medical system didn't know what to do with her and they literally told her not to come to the hospital if you have a fever and so she was gasping for air lying on the floor of the bathroom crying on the phone with her doctor saying i can't breathe and they're like well come in if you get worse um, you know, Jeez. take some Tylenol and, and, and so her thermometer, what it turns out was broken. It, it was always measuring a high nineties. Uh, and, uh, it turned out that basically for four to six weeks, she had a fever of about 102. Uh, and, uh, so <sighs> she's got POTS, uh, which is a, a arrhythmia with her heart, a problem with her heart. So she wakes up uh, multiple times each night with her heart racing at 120 to 160 beats per minute, gasping for air, her body in full adrenaline response, trying to keep her alive. And so then she wakes up and uh, tries to stay alive. Uh, this was happening up until uh, right now. Uh, last week, she's still experiencing this. And she is the poster child for our medical system failing this entire process uh, because testing was not available. Uh, she has now since is negative for the antibodies until she's never had a positive COVID test. So all of her bills are uh, astronomical and won't be aided by the COVID response, even though it's, uh, she clear has a hundred percent of the symptoms and a hundred percent of the problem, but she was forced not to come into the hospital. Just this Jeez. whole terrifying. So she literally can't read uh, for any length of time. She can't. It, it's affected her cognition. 
her memory, uh, her ability to, you know, yesterday was the first day that she uh, walked into a store. They went to World Market. She walked in. She walked to the back of the store and out, and that wiped her out for the day. Uh, She, like, is her current life state is just miserable. I forget if you said if she had any other underlying conditions. She's just some normal, healthy... Just normal, healthy young lady who works. Uh, she works for <clears throat> a company that provides products into grocery. And so she goes and is the rep at the grocery store. And they had no protective gear, no plan, no nothing uh, in late April and, and March. And so she was in those frontline environments as part of her job uh, and uh she contracted it or her husband or her boyfriend contracted it and isolated for weeks and uh, it was it was how was her boyfriend doing just heart-wrenching uh he had fairly mild experience the whole way through um and he did get pneumonia for about four days uh but uh has since recovered and he's been caring for her while he's also running his own business wow. And so it's just been absolutely devastating to so, the family, and and this whole this whole dialogue about well the the mortality rate is so small. Let's just get everybody sick and and get this herd immunity. Well, herd immunity isn't a thing. Uh, they uh, she does not have the antibodies anymore, um, and so she can get sick again, and other people are getting sick multiple times. Um, the uh, the whole the response her it, it's 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 just shocking. So do you think uh, that like because every day we're hearing numbers, you know, we're hearing numbers about cases, and then we're hearing so and so was put on the COVID list even though they didn't have COVID, <laughs> or in this case they weren't on it. Do you think that right. that manipulation or or uh, these weird numbers? are and it's kind of just occurred to me so this could be totally wrong but because of how our insurance works and how like is what other reasons outside i mean i understand donald trump's reason for wanting to you know keep numbers down but other than that yeah yeah the um (laughs) it goes back to we we talked about this for quite a while with jen last night about i i feel the pillars of our uh, country, the education system, the finance system, the, uh, you know, clearly the medical system and the political system have been affected so much by big money in, in their systems. So the shifting of our schools to be uh, privatized and uh, the, the amount of debt that students now incur is such a radical business of uh, of our nation of uh, indebting this whole next generation of educated peoples is insane. Uh, the incarceration uh, epidemic because we have privatized prisons and we have financial incentives to put people in jail. And whenever the you just got to follow the money in, in America, like Jen, her medical 
uh, response was entirely dictated by dollars and insurance. And so if the insurance wouldn't pay for it, then they wouldn't do it. They, she had to, uh, there's tests that she still needs that they will not do. Uh, when we were in Italy, the whole, you know, and their, their economy was struggling, but the, you know, Nick went to the hospital once and uh, spent two days in, uh, in the hospital a load of tests, gastrointestinal stuff, all the tubes down the thing. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, the entire bill was sixty dollars, and everything that they did was about finding the best solution for him. It was focused on patient care, and we don't do that at all. And it's uh, I, it's shocking. <coughs> it's saddening. We're you know we claim to be the number one country in the world and the most modern and all this stuff and it's just bullshit and and it makes me sad uh, yes and just i don't want to get into it but just to mark the time so that when we're listening to this as old men on a porch assuming we ever get to be old men sitting on a porch listening right. to this um right now in portland the past couple of days have been the unmarked vans that have just been mm. plucking people off the street so yeah. yeah, there's that. Uh, good times. <laughs> but anyway, well, um, uh, anything else before we get into some other no. news <laughs> or no. kill ourselves? <laughs> All right. Well, there is a town in Washington that has printed its own currency to boost corona re- coronavirus relief. So this is in Tonino, Washington, which um, is about 60 miles southwest of Seattle. So that's probably fairly yep. rural. Um yeah, it's out on the coast. Oh, okay. It's Nino a couple times. Yeah, it's okay, nice. yeah. So, um, uh, let's see. This is this is kind of one of those articles that tries to tell a story. Tucked away under a lock and key in a former railroad depot t- turned small town museum in the U.S. state of Washington, a wooden printing press cranked back to life to mint currency after nearly 90 years dormant. So, um... They're printing these $25 wooden bills bearing the town's name, Tenino, with the word COVID relief superimposed uh, on the image of a bat and the Latin phrase that says, we have it under control. (laughs) Nice. Um, So Tenino revived the local currency that had bolstered the town's economy in the 1931 wake of the Great Depression. So it's a town of less than 2,000 people. and anyone with a documented loss of income as a result of the pandemic is eligible for up to $300 a month of the local currency. Businesses up and down the town's main street accept the wooden note for everything except alcohol, tobacco, cannabis, and lottery tickets. So the city government backed the local currency, which merchants can exchange for U.S. dollars at City Hall for a one-to-one rate. So the mayor brought the idea of resurrecting the town's legacy project to the city council as a way to provide economic relief to businesses and residents suffering from the lockdown. So um, super interesting. And that article goes on for like six more pages. So if anyone wants to look that up, they can. But yeah. So Tonino was not the place I was thinking of. Uh, I was thinking of Tofino, <laughs> which is actually in uh, in Canada, which is out on the coast. Uh, but I was thinking of a coastal town that, that sounded like that. You weren't that. thinking of the Ho um, rainforest? <laughs> no. <laughs> but that that's a really interesting approach. Like, well, And I think we're going to see a lo- lot more like creative grassroots 
responses yeah. uh, to things. Well, and it shows, I mean, all I, I think a lot of the stuff that not to get back to, way too deeply into thing, but there, there is a difference in how things work in a group of 10. There is, it's different with a group of 200, 2000 and 2 million. You cannot apply the same solutions to a small group right. that you can to a big one. So it is neat to see that a little small town can kind of keep itself afloat and do something to help. So that's, that's great wow. news. So this is going back, uh, back to the Rick Emerson show, which, uh, I oft talk about and three of the anchors. So, um, Rick Emerson was a radio program here in Portland, Oregon, uh, that was live, uh, five days a week during the middays. And, um, they would uh, have correspondence from CNN radio on, um, and there's a handful of them. There's Lisa Desjardins, who covers things in Washington and now works for the PBS NewsHour. She's the one that helped me write my book with Rick. And then there is the Jim Roop, Steve Kastenbaum, and Bob Costantini, who are like, they went on that show for years. We had Jim Roop up to a Rick Emerson listener party and like a bunch of drunken, crazy people from Portland <laughs> acted like, it was God coming to earth when Jim Root from CNN radio stepped out as the special guest. And like, I remember cause Lisa Desjardins came out too for, um, we, there was another listener party where we did that roast, uh, the Rick Emerson roast. And she flew out from the East coast and like was the special guest. And, and we were, I was talking to her before the party started cause I was helping put the, put the show on and was talking with her. And I was like, you know, there's going to be 3000 people here. And she's like, I know I'm really nervous, you know, p that people are going to boo. And like, what is, I'm like, I don't think you understand. Like <laughs> there are going to be 3000 screaming lunatics that think you are the Beatles for being here. So just prepare yourself. And she's like, yeah, whatever, I guess. And then afterwards she's like, everyone tried to warn me that, Everyone is going to freak out, and I just did not ever believe it. But yeah, so, but with that in mind, so they um, they were at CNN. They kind of went separate ways into different um, into different conglomerations, uh, and many of them ending up at Cumulus. And so there is sad news because during a video call Thursday afternoon, Cumulus Radio CEO informed its employees that 3% of the workforce is being eliminated and the Westwood One radio network will be shuttered. So that was the um, oh. news the news outlet. And, and if anyone's ever listened to talk radio or radio that has news things, Westwood One is kind of like the, a the AP or the Reuters kind of, of, of radio type news. Yeah. Um, so Westwood One website lists five reporters, which is insane. Steve Kastenbaum, Bob Costantini, Jim Roop, and then two others. So three of the five that got let go have traces back directly to CNN and the Rick Emerson show, which is crazy. Aww. So, yeah. And there's some other anchors, too, that are that uh, have gotten fired. But really sad. Jim, Jim Roop especially is just amazing he was hilarious but also serious and just really got they were just great great reporters and conveyors of, of news and information so i'm hoping hoping they all land back on their feet i mean there was a period between 94 95 and 2007 ish uh where we listened to radio uh, talk radio every single day uh, 
Yeah, Rick Emerson, Tom Likas. Tom, the Tom Likas know, show. Uh, the Tom Likas <laughs> show. And, uh, and. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, Phil Hendry. Um, did you ever listen to Phil Hendry, who I do think still has no. a show, but. Yeah. Um, no, I, I did listen to Laura Schles- Schlesinger. Now go take on the day. And I am my kid's mom, Mark. I'm my kid's mom. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, at, but Susan Powder and, yeah. and, and Rick Emerson what got um, uh, syndicated during yeah. that period and then quickly yeah. lost that. And I have it, never it heard a, it, radio was. A I've never heard ride. any of his syndicated show, and I think purposely because he said it was the worst thing on earth. And every day he wanted to shoot himself in the face as opposed to going on on the air. That was when like there was. I mean, there was always the intervention of the upper management or whatever trying to dictate what they talked about. But during that syndicated show centered around pop culture and a young audience, his the upper level management told him to he, he was talking about the Sopranos a lot because that was like a huge thing at the time. And they were like, um, right. nobody watches TV. So <laughs> like, what am I doing? <laughs> Uh, anyway, well, let's let's move on to some llama news. Uh, llama, llama news. Llamas provide key to immunotherapy. So scientists from the UK's Rosalind Franklin Institute have used Fifi the llamas, specially evolved antibodies to make an immune-boosting therapy. So the resulting llama-based COVID-specific, quote, antibody cocktail could enter clinical trials for months. Now, I'm guessing I pulled this story from, like, some British tabloid, so <laughs> take all this with a grain of salt. Right. Um, so we're finding that llamas antibodies, we have the keys that don't quite fit. They'll go into, wait, what? Oh, I skipped a paragraph. Sorry. <laughs> it involves engineering llama antibodies, which are relatively small and much more simply structured than the antibodies in our own blood. And so the size and structure structure means that they can be redesigned in the lab. In the lab. So um, the key of the trick is with llama-derived antibodies is that the scientists could produce the coronavirus-specific antibi- uh, antibodies uh, to order. So basically, they're making what they call nanobodies that kill the live virus extremely well. Um, and for some reason, whatever llamas have in their antibodies uh, are a big help for that. So look for your lam- llama vaccines uh, c- coming soon to a Walgreens near you. <laughs> We love llamas and alpacas. Well, I guess we don't have to be afraid for that no. one that was in the um, George Floyd protests. There was, remember that, like when those popped, when those first yes. popped off. There was the no drama llama was part of the. Yes. Uh, but there is some good news just south of me. The Enchanted Forest, which is one of the greatest little amusement parks lost in time known to man, are now back open. So admission tickets go on sale three days in advance and can be purchased any time of the day uh, for updates, blah, blah, blah. Go there. It's at chanted, enchantedforest.com. So if you have never been there or if you are someone that has always loved going there, now is a great time. The weather's beautiful. It looks like from what I've seen that they're taking all the necessary precautions of keeping people apart and, and cleaning stuff down. So that's great news because I was really afraid that place was going to be lost right. to time um do you have anything I okay i have don't. a couple more stories here 
Okay. Let's see here. Uh, in other 2020 news, a squirrel tested positive for the bubonic plague in Colorado. So um, it was the first case of the plague this year. The disease has been around for centuries and was responsible for uh, an estimated 50 million people in Europe dying uh, during the Middle Ages. So um, they warned that the public that it can infect both humans and animals if proper precautions are not taken. The disease can be transferred transmitted from flea bites from infected animals so that's a big uh, a big thing to walk for. while modern antibiotics can prevent complications and death if treated quickly enough it is still a major threat to both humans and animals so the plague has recently been making a comeback <laughs> woo <laughs> and the world health organization who has categorized it as a re-emergent disease. There are approximately 1,000 to 2,000 cases every year, but that is a modest figure as there are numbers of unreported cases. Um, the U.S. has a few dozen every year, um, and two people died in 2015 in Colorado. So um, they do have medicine for it. I'm sure it still messes with your system, but as long as you are treated, it is obviously less, less uh, catastrophic than... Um, it used to be <laughs> so <laughs> then the right. middle ages um, i had yes. one last story but it's a little long and and not that interesting except it sort of is it's how other species handle social distances when one of them is sick and it looks at like ants oh. and bees and apes and bats and how they all um there is some form in each of them of social distancing when one of them gets uh, sick and sometimes the other ones can sense it and help them and sometimes the one that's sick knows it's sick and goes off and distances itself and tries to keep away because all of those obviously they live in in hives or in, in high concentrations especially bees and ants and stuff like that so it was really super interesting to to read about how other animals act when they have a sickness within their community so do check that out if you're interested that's awesome the end. The end. Uh, we have kind of an interesting little I'm topic. I'm excited. To talk I have no today. idea what's coming. Much like the you joke don't. you told at the um, beginning of the show, I have no idea <laughs> what I'm going to be hearing. <laughs> um, so, this is actually a callback to our previous show where uh, I brought on this little guy. <gasps> You did not bring on that little guy. I had to see him in a picture like a like a common group chat member. That is a I don't even know if anyone can hear me. <laughs> that is a wild, wacky, inflatable tube man thing, but like on a miniature scale, it's like a foot it looks like a foot or two high. Yeah, it's it's uh yeah, it's just just about 18 oh, inches. It's wonderful. Uh, and, and it's um, both battery operated and you can also use a power adapter. And uh, I've got it all. How much did that cost you? He's pretty awesome. Uh, like $8 <laughs> on Amazon. They're available on Amazon. Um, and and uh, what's interesting is that thing came with a little mini book with the history of the are you kidding me guy <laughs> and there's there's actually a not too disinterested uh, history of the making cow. of this thing and so i thought we would we would dive in a little bit to the history of 
Tube oh, Man. You know. Uh, also known as a sky dancer, <laughs> air dancer, or the wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube that man. That one was coined by Family Guy, I believe, because that's what they they use him as a cutaway, <laughs> cutaway joke, and that's how they refer to it. Wow, you know the way to my heart. You know what this my <laughs> my soul needs in this time of global conflict. <laughs> Ah, so tell me more. So, so when when was the first time that you saw a wacky oh, waving uh, man guy? I think? would have to say maybe mid two thousands, maybe, and they started showing up at like used car lots. Right, right. Um, I was shocked that I didn't see them before nineteen ninety six. I really thought in my mind that. It had always been a part. And, and I think just watching the Cal Worthington and his dog Spot kind of commercials, that they were just always yeah. there. And uh, they were invented in 1996. Wow. See, I don't remember growing uh, up. I remember I don't remember seeing them. So that's why I knew that they hadn't always right. been here. Right. And so uh, there were two principal <laughs> artists that each were kind of on their own paths are you having I'm a bird? Hearing a bird in your no, that's background. that's not my background. <laughs> Is that? Oh, okay. We have. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm beating a bird. We to have death a over cr- here. <laughs> We have. We have. Um, we are in the path of the crow oh. migration, the daily crow migration. So in the evening, they go into town east and in the morning yeah uh, yeah whatever it is and um we have an adolescent so he's he's a young adult crow who is always <laughs> angry and you can hear him in the back i, I right can now. hear it he's o- always over your microphone starving so he's starving right now and they and he's telling his parents who are always next to him trying to calm him down and and he's just yelling at them that he's hungry and he's like biting at their <laughs> their beaks and everything and so, so what we will do is take a handful of um like tortilla chips and throw them into the backyard and it shuts them up for like three hours and then he'll be back so if it becomes too annoying we might do that that's amazing it sounds um, like birdemic okay <laughs> it's totally birdemic so um there were two artists one was uh, Peter Minchel, and he's from Trinidad, uh, you know, at the the top crest of uh, uh, South America, right, right next down to by the Tobago kind of or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Trinidad and Tobago, which I think might be part of I the think same so. I think that changed like yeah. in the 80s and my references have just not. <laughs> I have not updated my mental yeah. Rolodex on that reference. He started uh, doing art really as a young teenager, 12 and 13 years old. He started making uh, really elaborate costumes for Carnival. And so his first one was this magnificent, huge um, bird uh, for his sister to wear in Carnival. And then he evolved into these bigger-than-life puppets that were... uh, controlled by individuals with big long right. sticks and everything. So he was he was really into like the motion of humans uh, or or creatures and how that gets translated into massive puppetry. 
and uh, like the mechanics of that and, and the, uh, what that looks like and how that gets expressed. Simultaneously, Doran Gazette was a, um, he's an Israeli engineer, and his focus was on inflatable tubes. <laughs> and so his, I know. I would love if that was one so of like those, was, those passions that you have since childhood for some reason. And totally. Right. And so he, he, he started, he credits his father Whoa. with uh, inspiring him on this, on this bit because he, uh, his family, his father farm, was an inflatable they, tube. His, his, his father was an inflatable <laughs> tube. So, um, his his family farm had those really long plastic uh, tube um, enclosures for uh, on the farm that are basically um, uh, temporary greenhouses, if you will. And so he went to the factory once and saw them extruding these long tubes. And so he got his hands on some and he would create these art installations of horizontal tubes flowing in the wind. And so he, um, Christo, and I was he, wondering like, credits, if Christo was going to come up in this. He, he, he I absolutely almost made a joke credits, about it earlier. <laughs> he absolutely credits Christo <laughs> as inspiration for these, these really large, uh, environmental installations of these red tubes going across the dead sea and and it just really really interesting stuff so um peter minchel the the puppet guy was commissioned by one of the steering he he was published in a book that book made it to one of the steering committee committee members of the 1996 uh atlanta Olympic Games uh, committee. And so the closing ceremony was uh, was the debut of the tube guy. And uh, so the Olympics were the uh, the conduit for these two artists to collaborate. Basically, Peter Minchel, the puppet guy, hired I'm looking uh, at Doran I'm looking Gazette. at a picture of them right now. They're huge. They are sixty Holy feet cow. tall. They're a little bit different than what we know. They as have the two tube legs instead of the one. They have two legs, and so the tube guy got more simplified to a single fan uh, that blows up and and does the same thing. And there's also a 1998 Grammy Awards um, <clears throat> performance by Ricky Martin oh. that um, that in the background you see the tubes. Um, it's not exactly the tube guy, but the, it's a very specific physical action that you see in these tubes of the expansion, uh, uh, the, the limp tube expanding, Tell me more. uh, incrementally to the end, it's uh, unfurling you know, where yeah. unfurling to, you know, and, and there's, there's a, if you watch that performance, at the last minute or so of the performance, there's a bunch of these tubes in the background that uh, are really fast. It, it's it's it triggers our animal instincts to to look at these things because they they 
look like they're doing animalistic right. movements, but they're very mechanical. It's kind of like based, the uncanny valley. It confuses us. It, it really doesn't have is. that human and, organic feel, but it's right. not right. But it's satisfying. <laughs> right. It's, it's like not an un, it's, it's not an uncomfortable uncanny, uncanny valley. It's what makes it so right. great. <laughs> totally. It does. It just makes it wonderful. <laughs> and so, um, and um, and so those two collaborated, created the thing. So the guy that uh, did the air tubes, part of the uh, mechanic uh, thing, without telling anyone else, filed a patent. And he's making all the money. Uh, he did not share Whoa. that with any of the other team. Um, and I, I would say, you know, he definitely was a major contributor. He wasn't um, he wasn't just somebody who saw somebody else do an idea. Like he definitely was. So is a he the artist or is he the tube of guy? This okay. Tube guy, which he's well, right, also right, an right. artist. Uh, but but yes, uh, but he didn't involve the puppet guy. And so there's been a falling out and, you know, and so the uh, Gazette created a company that when you go to a big conference and you see inflatable light filled items, that's probably this company. And that's uh, the legacy that this guy has developed is uh these props at events uh creating things. Wow. So he's, he's he's doing doing fine uh there are some like the city of houston has outlawed uh these uh, as, as well as other distracting they were devices, found too uh, delightful marketing <laughs> too <laughs> delightful um and and so there's um there's a few towns and municipalities, <laughs> municipalities across the nation who have um, have forbid them just because they're too distracting or too gaudy or whatever they they uh, put for them. But uh, the tube guy uh, lives on and um, a and is is definitely part of wow. our pop culture uh, starting in 1996. Wow. That's that's great. I needed that. <laughs> I needed that so much. I've just been looking at pictures of wacky inflatable tube men. <laughs> um, here's a another. This is this picture. Oh here wow! Is some of the environmental tube installations that Gazette did okay. before. So he, um, and these those are look just like giant, huge, giant versions of the of the like the vegetable bags that you put your fresh vegetables in yep. at the grocery store, except like a hundred feet long. And, yeah. And so th these are just a bunch of people holding on to them on the, uh, on a cliff basically. And so they're just flowing out. And so he was remarking that when he was doing these, these air tube installations, they were always horizontal and he wanted to shift that to be a vertical look and that's uh the impetus for the uh collaboration for the uh tube guy yeah because i uh, i think i was i was too busy yep. delighting in pictures of the actual tube man and i think i missed the part of how the two the guy from trinidad and and the tube guy got <clears throat> together and collaborated was that for the olympics 
Yeah. Okay. It was for the Olympics. Yeah. And so um, Peter Minchel needed somebody who he, uh, Peter had the idea of uh, like a much bigger than life uh, puppet based thing, but he wanted it to be okay. air driven. And so he was looking for an artist that had experience with <laughs> air tubes. And how do you uh, find someone like that in 1996 person, before uh, the internet, before someone's right, LinkedIn exactly. profile happens to mention <laughs> that they work in air tubes? Right. Yeah. I have no idea how they found each other, you know, on separate sides yeah. of the world. Wow. And, uh, doing things. But. Uh, but it brought us the, that the tube man. That is amazing. Fantastic. I love it. I'm not even going to, I'm, uh, I don't know what I'll title this episode, but I'm not going to tell anyone what it's about until they get there. So they get to be delighted just as I am. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, awesome. thank you for doing that, Mark. Thank you for taking the time to record again. I always miss it when we don't do it. Um, Me too. So next week we are doing another Portland at the movies, and the movie we'll be watching is called Cabin Fever, which is from 2016, written by Eli Roth, whose name might be familiar to some horror movie fans, um, and our friend Ted Pfeiffer, who we talked to last month, who is the writer for uh, Harvest of Fear and and Path of Evil. He was the location manager and he was the he had like three different jobs on that set so i'm going to reach out to him to make sure that i know where everything was but i had so much fun watching this movie so if you guys you have a whole week it's on netflix so you can go check netflix or amazon i can't remember which one but it's on one of them netflix i think uh cabin fever uh there's one from 2002 which apparently is the original one this is a remake Uh, i haven't watched that one yet so i just kind of went in blind so i might watch the the original one but um so we're looking for cabin fever the 2016 yes. movie so okay. yeah i had by, by yeah. eli Roth. and yeah. so yeah la- i went through the full spectrum last night where i was making hand gestures and like at one point my mouth dropped open and i was yelling at the screen and like it was just it was so much fun especially after a lot of the dreck we've <laughs> we've endured on Portland at the movies lately. So if you're at all interested in seeing that movie before we talk about it, you can check that out this week. Cabin fever next week. We'll be back with our review of that. So the box office, <laughs> uh, the box office yeah. take for that movie. Uh, $39,000. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I'm, it doesn't say I'm what not promising was, you but... a rose garden, but for in the context of what we do on Portland <laughs> at the movies, it's going to be super fun to talk about. So um, I can't wait for that. So join us for that. Listen to Fun Employment Radio on every day of the week, even through this pandemic. So check them out. Support them. Um, support the Unipiper whose tooth, what, his tooth fell out? What is, what's happening with, with Brian? Uh, he had okay. some mouth surgery, uh, and and so he'll be down for about oh, wow. a month as um, uh, he had some uh, stuff done with his gums. And so uh, there's nothing worse to do with that than uh, compress your mouth with uh, blowing <laughs> into a bagpipe. And so, so he is out of commission for the next month or so, uh, and... Uh, as he recovers He's oh good good to hear um so yeah go 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 do stuff that makes you happy go look at it if you get down that's what i'm i'm gonna make a challenge to myself when i get down the next couple days next couple of weeks the next couple of months as things seem to spiral out of control in this country 
I'm just going to take a lawn chair. I'm going to go to my nearest used car lot. And I'm going to, you have one right in your home, Mark. (laughs) Nice. Well, thank you for doing that. Uh, We will talk to the rest of you guys later. Bye. Wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man. Wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man. Wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man. Hi, I'm Al Harrington, president and CEO of Al Harrington's Wacky Waving Inflatable Arm Flailing Tube Man Emporium and Warehouse. Thanks to a shipping error, I am now currently overstocked on Wacky Waving Inflatable Arm Flailing Tube Man, and I am passing the savings on to you! Attract customers to your business. Make a splash at your next presentation. Keep grandma company. Protect your crops. Confuse your neighbors. African-American, hail a cab. Testify in church or just raise the roof. Whatever your wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man needs are. So come on down to Al Harrington's wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man emporium and warehouse. Route 2 in Weekapog.